Welcome to On The Bounce, where we discuss resilience and its practical application in our lives. Together, we'll discover the tools needed to empower ourselves, develop positive thoughts, and accomplish our goals to become the best versions of ourselves. Welcome to another exciting episode on On The Bounce. Today, I have one of my mentors uh, that I've met in the military, Eric Chris, on this episode. And I can't tell you how excited I am to share and be able to have this opportunity and communicate and uh, just get a perspective, just get perspectives from who he is and what he does and how he continues to a mentor and continues to be such a pivotal member of his communities. Eric is an army leader, a counselor, a mentor to not only me, but to many. And one of my favorite things about him is that he is a loving family man. And for someone who is as passionate and career driven, he still finds ways to put family first and volunteers within the community. I, without taking or stealing his thunder, I am going to give him the opportunity to take the floor. And I just wanted to say, Eric, thank you and welcome for being on my podcast. Ms. Martha, thank you for the uh, invite. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, this discussion. Um, thanks for highlighting a, a few things. But uh, for me, one of the things I wanted uh, to highlight is that balance um, between military life and, and family life. And that is definitely a huge challenge for for all of us. And I'm looking forward to uh, expanding on some of that throughout this uh, this conversation, just to give a little bit of background on myself. Uh, I've been in the military for 26 years total. Uh, I've been on active duty for 21 years. I spent six years in the reserves before coming on active duty just prior to 9-11. Um, married, been married for 23 years, and we have five children, uh, three of them which are adults, and two of them that are high schoolers. So we're just about ready to uh, clear the nest out and then move on to that next chapter in life. So again, I'm looking forward to, to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You've already highlighted some things that I definitely want to pick your brain. But I want to start off first with uh, what does resilience mean to you? Resilience for me is being able to take everything that is happening around you in the environments that you are, that you're in, and then being able to bounce back from any of that negative impacts that impact your life or impact somebody within your community and, and being able to bounce back to that, that balanced person and be able to think clearly through the situations before uh, you make any actions or say anything and being able to pass that energy on to someone else to help them work through whatever struggles they're having. Mm. I love that perspective when you said to be able to transfer that energy and use that as a positive tool to have a positive influence over others. It's rare and it's not very often that I hear um, individuals add that as part of resilience because resilience is not something that we just do for ourselves, but others others benefit from the ability to overcome challenges. So I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So I want to take a moment to do a shout out to military spouses and children, because as you mentioned before, uh, is the balance, the balance between military and uh, family. And, and one of the things that I want to highlight is that within the military, there are unique challenges and um, adversities that military spouses and children have to uh, have to deal with. And in many cases, it, it's very last minute and unexpected and forces them to be extremely reactive in the relationship. 
if you can sh- if you can highlight how that has been for your family and working through some of those transitions and those challenges that you, that have been that's forced your family to be reactive. Yeah, it's um it started very early. Uh, as I said, it, I started out in the reserves before coming on active duty. So before we came on active duty, we had already had three children uh, at that point, and it was a normal life, a day-to-day uh, living in Maine. And then when I came on active duty and bringing them from the state of Maine down to North Carolina to Fort Bragg, it's really when we started having to work through those struggles of obviously after 9-11 started the, the deployments and for myself, the way my deployments were set up, it was pretty much year on, year off between Iraq, Afghanistan, sprinkling Korea in between and being able to adapt to me being gone versus mm-hmm. me being at home. Then after after that first deployment to, to Afghanistan and then going to Korea, they were at Bragg for five years. And we transitioned from there to Fort Drum. That was that first transition, that that first transition from one military installation to another. And we got fortunate enough to be at Fort Drum for seven years before having to transition again. But after that, it was we were transitioning every three years mm. in Fort uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, to Fort Gordon. Georgia down to the Sergeant Majors Academy at Fort Bliss and then coming here to to Aberdeen Approving Grounds in Maryland, it it created it has definitely created a a resiliency for the children mm-hmm. to be able to adapt to that. I'm in this school for a couple of years and then I'm moving on. Or um, I've got these set of friends and then I've got to move on or they even more move on, um, to another installation. Uh, like in the conversations that we've had that, that challenge of, I show up to an installation, I've got to build my friends right now. I, mean, yeah. I, I can't wait six months, nine months. Uh, I, I've got to do it today because, Tomorrow, that family may be moving or tomorrow we may be moving. Yes. So that creates that huge challenge, in my opinion, in the difference between our children, a military child versus a, a, a civilian child that may have only grown up in one place and the family hasn't moved around. Yes. So it's it's interesting to see how they grow. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And I can appreciate uh, what you said because I personally experienced myself. And and it's true when they say that military children uh, are able to be uh, adaptable because for many, it's their lifestyle. But it doesn't mean that it's easy for them. And as a, as a parent, how is it that you have that th- those connections or that communication with your kids to help them understand or to provide them with resources or tools or even just some insight in how to accomplish and overcome this? Well, that's the, that's the nice thing about the military community. Um, we have programs that are available for their children, um, both on the installation and then definitely out in the community. Luckily enough for the locations that we went to, uh, we it was a very military-centric um, city around it. So knowing that a good portion of the community was driven from that installation, you would you have the opportunity that chances are you're probably going to have somebody from the military community living near you if you don't live on the installation, which we've done both. Uh, like right now here in Aberdeen, we live on the installation. When we were at Fort Bliss, uh, we lived on the installation. But when we lived in South Carolina and Georgia, we lived off the installation. Okay. So you, the children had the, the opportunity when we lived off the installation to create that friendship with children that were not military Mm. to to see that life dynamic 
for a non-military child, but also for that non-military child to be able to see the dynamics and of what it's like to be a military child. And I think that's what makes a lot of our children resilient to the movements and being adaptable to the situations because they know I'm only going to be here for a little bit of time and then I'm moving on. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I absolutely appreciate that. And you, and you're so right. And, and you see it. And I've even heard, uh, um, children that are around military kids um, highlight certain things that they were like, wow, I've, I've never done that, or that's so cool. And it gives them their own identity. I feel that despite the fact that they there's always a transition going on in their lives, I feel that it gives them a unique identity that they can use to hold on to and uh, just be part of something bigger. And I think that it does help uh, as well. And I don't know if that's if that's the same sentiments for your children as well. Yeah, I, I really I think that's meets the definition pretty much for any military child. Obviously, we know you're going to have um, some differences uh, based on parenting and everything, not just from the military life itself. But also, I I think it goes to how do we as the service member, uh, how do we separate that, that personal and that professional life? So when I'm coming home, I leave work at the door. Mm. You don't bring it into the house. Um, don't bring that uh, that atmosphere into the home. Now, does that happen every day? No, it doesn't happen every day. Do I do I sometimes go into a a, a rant and and think that my children are one of my soldiers? Absolutely, I've done that. I think we've all done that. Absolutely. Um, and it's and again, it's it's that balance. How do you balance that professional life and that personal life, and still keep the the home together, and and the children understanding that this lifestyle was not pushed upon them; that they they were brought into it. Mm-hmm. And how do you help them navigate through through those challenges? And like for us. Um, Two of our daughters uh, cheer competitively. So that was kind of their way of adapting and being able to get out of a stressful situation and go blow some energy off. Um, And a lot of military children do that. Um, They get involved in the the community or get involved in sports competitive sports mm-hmm. and that's their outlet uh, that's their way of uh adapting to those struggles but even as service members uh we do the same thing a softball is a huge thing for me that is my outlet so when i'm ready to i need a break i can go out and hit a hit a yellow ball in the back uh, backyard and I can let my stress go. Mm. Uh, some people go golfing, some people, whatever it may be. And it's nice to be able to see that we can have our outlets to be able to adapt to those constant changes and struggles and challenges that we go through in, in this daily life. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I love the fact how you uh, use an outlet as a means of grounding yourself and just getting yourself back to that that mindset that you need to regroup and to refocus on the next thing or even prepare yourself to handle the challenges that you're about to face. And that brings right that brings me right into my next subject as um in your in your career, you have uh, you've mentioned that you've had multiple deployments. Um, you've you have transitioned and you have uh, moved to um, out outside of the United States. Let's talk about those deployments and let's talk about life after the deployments of you not deploying anymore and how is that reintegration and that reconnecting back to not just your family, but to the community as well. 
Yeah, the earlier early part of my career uh, coming on active duty, like I mentioned, I came on just before 9-11. I was actually at Fort Bragg transitioning to my unit when 9-11 happened. So shortly after uh, the following year in 2002 is when the deployment cycle started. And going from Afghanistan, coming home six months later, Korea, coming home six months later, back in Afghanistan, a, a year later in Iraq, then a year later back in Afghanistan. Throughout that 10-year span, I mean, spending more than 50% uh, gone, you really didn't have, we really didn't have that opportunity to build that family connection back. Because by mm -hmm. the time I got back, we were already ramping up, getting prepared for the next one. So maybe three months out of the year that we were home, we might have actually physically been with the family. Oh, wow. So that created a lot of struggles um, for the family and also for myself. So once I came back from Afghanistan and my last deployment in October 2011, transitioning to Fort Jackson and becoming an instructor uh, there for the senior leaders course, teaching our uh, our future uh, senior leaders that I started noticing some of the stuff that the wife noticed years before. Mm. That, that struggle of still trying to cope and deal with the stuff that I had seen and done over that 10 year span, it hit like a brick wall pretty quickly. Mm. So since the last deployment to today, that 10 year span has now reestablished and rebuilt the connections with the family, with the children and were there struggles along the way? Absolutely. Uh, uh, at all fronts, uh, struggles for myself, struggle for the wife, struggle for the kids. Mm. But having those networks, having those abilities um, to talk with other people mm -hmm. that have kind of gone through the exact same thing or having that community connection, uh, as I mentioned, the, the competitive cheers for the girls having that community connection really helped to, I think, strengthen what was already a strong family, but really strengthen and rehone that, uh, that platform that was there before we started this journey. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I, uh, I really appreciate the fact that, um, one recognizing that, the journey, the journeys and the struggles within those journeys. But in that process, there was constant growth. There was constant recognition. And I love the fact that it always came back to family and community for you. And clearly using those resources as not only a, of a network of building each other, but as as to re reinventing and uh, providing you with that purpose, allowing you to keep keep moving forward. Would would you say that to be true? Absolutely. Um, we all know it's not just military, civilian as well. You, you have to have that purpose. Yeah. What is what is your purpose in life? What is your purpose in whatever it may be? Your job, your athletics, or just you yourself. And, and I really think that the first 10 years of my career created one purpose. Uh, the, the focus was for the wife and the children. The, the focus was them. Their mm -hmm. purpose was keeping that family together while I was constantly in and out. Um, this next 10 years of my career, it turned into now that purpose has shifted. It mm -hmm. shifted to the purpose of a whole family. How do uh, how do we all get back and and reconnect and build that that cohesion within the family at all different for each one of us differently? And as 
2015, when it all started, our first one graduating and going off to college, Mm. that struggle, another struggle comes in. For me, that was hard because having been gone and out of her life so much early in my career to just getting back and reconnecting and then now she's moved on, she's gone to college. Wow. uh, Yeah. And now she's teaching and everything in Maine. So she's away from the family. So Mm -hmm. it's almost, it's almost like for myself, it's, it's hard. And I think back to the whole deployment time, what did it feel like for them with, Mm. with me being gone to now the roles are reversed to where the children are growing up, they're having their life and I'm trying to work through, okay, this is not normal. Why yeah. is it? Why is it they're gone and I'm here? Yeah. So, uh, I really think that it it is driven around what what is that purpose? What is our purpose in life? Mm. And how do we get there? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So, explain to me as a leader why is resilience necessary or important? Resilience, I, I would say, is that foundation. Uh, that it's that foundation is what keeps us grounded. If we don't have the ability to be resilient to the environment and to the situations that we're in, we can start going in so many different directions. I mean, mm. take a look at take a look at statistics. I, we talk about twenty two a day. Is it truly twenty two a day that for suicide? Maybe, mm. maybe not, but that resiliency piece of it, everybody has it, but it's how mm-hmm. we utilize it. Mm. How, how do we bring it forward? How do we lean on it when um, it's time to utilize it when we're in that situation? And if if we let it falter, that not having that uh, that resiliency to help us as leaders, then we can't help our subordinates below us. We can't help our teammates get better or work through a struggling situation. It could be a soldier is preparing to, to go to a promotion board. Mm. The stress that comes with preparing for that. A, a soldier is getting ready to become a brand new parent. Mm. And, and how do I now balance the having a child and I'm in this organization that we've we've got to work 12 to 14 hours a day mm. and, and being able to use that resiliency and that bounce back ability to say, okay, yep, this is going on. Okay. And how do I kind of reset a little bit to keep myself balanced and grounded? Mm. Now you hit on so many areas that I definitely want to pick apart. The first thing that you said, what what I I like the way how you used resilience as not just an opportunity to like, okay, you're going through these challenges. How do I um, teach you to get through this? But how do I provide you with what you need to be able to get through this? And I think it's so important to uh, understand that resilience, it, there's some there's some accountability as far as I need to be able to have the, the tools and the resources myself in order to transfer that, in order to inspire uh, purpose for someone else. So I really like how you use that, again, bigger than you concept. And I love, I love that. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think that's one of the, the constant challenges that a, a leader has, if it be in the military or if it be in a civilian workforce, um, being able to be approachable and be accessible to your subordinates really helps to build that team and that bond. Mm. And resiliency is just a piece of the puzzle that helps you to better to be a better leader and not be that person that 
I can't be approachable. Uh, nobody wants to talk to me. So you don't have the ability to help them when they're in that time of need, in that time of help. Or resiliency could be a factor that causes you to be that leader that you're too much involved and it, it, be, it becomes that negative side of it. So it's that balance between a mm. positive and a, and a negative approach to using it. Mm, I love that. So considering the times that we as as a nation, as 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 the world is trying to recover from this pandemic, how do you keep your team motivated despite the conflicts and the constant obstacles that we're trying to overcome daily? The biggest thing is, is communication mm-hmm. being, being in a geographically dispersed organization. So I have a total of 15 career counselors within my command, but I only have two that are directly with me. Mm. The other 12 are scattered amongst installations throughout the United States. So it's having that, op- that open communication with either it being through Microsoft Teams because that's come become a big platform mm-hmm. that we're using in this environment today or just getting on the phone and, and making a phone call either during work hours or even after work hours because obviously us being on the East Coast, having members on the West Coast at different time zones, it, it does create that challenge. But if you if we don't have that open communication, the team starts shutting down. Mm. And we don't know what's going on, so we don't know how to help. And I can tell you that has been one of the biggest challenges for myself coming into the position that that I'm in. I've never been in a position where I've had people working directly for me. They've always been working for their bosses and I mm. just provide the guidance. Okay. You understand that being a career counselor, uh, you work directly for your bosses. And mm-hmm. I'm just a I'm just a figurehead that provides guidance, purpose, and motivation to you. Mm-hmm. But they're responsible for you. Whereas today I have two career counselors that work directly in my office that work my day-to-day operations. Okay. And that adjustment, it's that is an adjustment. So that resiliency factor comes into play. Uh, how do I say, okay, I can trust you to do this. Mm. Whereas I'm used to, I'm going to go get it done. Uh, that <laughs> if, where today, now I have to trust giving it to them and saying, okay, here's my vision. Here's what I need. Uh, here's what I'm thinking. And let them kind of massage that thought and, and produce uh, the, the information that I need to be able to talk with my bosses or be able to better guide the team. Mm. So they're kind of my left and right arm when it, when it comes to running this organization. And I think that's what makes the leaders a better leader is being able to do that. Oh, absolutely. I agree. But I think it's also a challenge too, especially as you mentioned, being being in multiple situations or environments or organizations where you have been used to being the one to initiate and engage the uh, vision. Uh, so, you know, you had something to do and you're going to go ahead and execute it and in your own way and how you see is the best way to, to handle this. And now you're in a situation where uh, if you take that away from your team members, then you're stifling them and not creating an environment or cultivating an environment for them to, to grow and develop their leadership skills. Uh, so I, I appreciate the fact that you, you highlight that, but how do you, how else do you provide ways to, to mentor and groom your team members and your leaders? I say I'll, I'll start within my own shop. Um, within my own shop, the I have a a retention operations NCO that's responsible for a certain piece of the puzzle, and then I have a senior retention operations NCO that is responsible for another piece. And to 
think about it from a civilian a civilian workforce. You have that is your uh, probably the best example would be the person that's actually running, uh, doing the work versus somebody that's overseeing them do uh, do that work. And okay. Then you got your manager, me being that manager that's overseeing the overall operation. Mm-hmm. So for me, what I the environment that I've created with my team is that retention operations NCO with that worker, I'm grooming that individual to become that uh, production manager, if you want to look at it from that perspective, mm, okay. become that production manager. And I'm taking that production manager and I'm grooming that production manager to take my job as the, as the overall manager of the, the organization. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's just, I, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I love that. I love that. Um, you know, it's just recognizing, all right, what is what is it that we need to start preparing you today for where you need to go? And what are those steps that we can take and uh, start to cultivate and uh, start to allow those skills to be enhanced to, so by the time that position comes, that by the time that promotion arrives, you are comfortable in being able to focus on leading and mentoring versus trying to figure out what you need to do at that time. Yeah. And, and what I've found is by doing that, because like I said, we have 12 additional career counselors that are scattered across the United States. These two individuals can now take that knowledge and that knowledge is now being spread down. It, mm. They're taking what they're learning and pushing down to the subordinates below us. And I, again, provide the, the guidance and the purpose and the motivation towards it. But then those two young leaders within the shop are the ones that are really driving that vision and that purpose and that motivation down to the team. And it allows us to continue to grow versus, mm. like you said, stifling if we stifled it to where I provided everything down to the team and didn't allow my operations to do their job, they would never learn. They would never learn how to do that and how to manage as they're continuing to grow and those promotions come and the ability or the opportunities to move forward into a different organization. If we don't teach them that, then they're going to stay stagnant throughout their career. Hmm. I wanted to take a moment. uh, So for our listeners to understand the magnitude of your organization, I know you have, you've mentioned that you have 12 career counselors that you provide direct um, mentorship for in, in your specific field. But if you can just let the, the, our listeners know your organization that you provide executive senior uh, ad- advisory support to is how big is your organization? Our organization total is made up of um, roughly uh, about 5,000 soldiers within the command. And, okay. and our one of our largest organizations uh, – that our manager that we have there, she is responsible for four additional career counselors within her organization. And then within my other two organizations, one of the organization has two additional career counselors that they are responsible for. And the other one is responsible for three. So to think about it from a, a corporate, a corporate business, you have different sections within that uh, that corporate business. I'll go mm. back to uh, the company that I worked for with Corning Incorporated before coming on active duty. We had within that plant, we had uh, a pipette section for medical, making medical pipettes, a section that made uh, medical flasks, and other, another section made um, Petri dishes all medical supplies, but different types. And that's kind of what our organization is made up of. We have a chemical uh, chemical organization 
And then we have two explosive ordnance disposal organizations. So we are the only organization within the Department of Defense that is built this way. And it mm. was created because of 9-11 and all the the stuff that had happened after 9-11 with the anthrax scares and all the different chemical and biological weapon scares um, within the U.S., but also within the world. So our career counselors are responsible to talk with the soldiers within those organizations and to help them and guide them throughout their career to determine, am I going to continue to serve uh, in the military or am I going to take the knowledge that I've learned and now transition out back into the civilian workforce and take that knowledge with me and bring it back to the community? Yeah. So I, I appreciate you laying out that that foundation and that platform because I just I wanted to have uh, I just wanted to highlight the importance as far as as far as why the mentorship and the grooming that you provide to your to your team is critical because with their knowledge their mentorship their ability to be resilient they are. They are directly influencing the force and ensuring that we are keeping the right individuals in boots to make sure that they that we can continue to serve this great nation. So I just wanted to make sure and highlight that because the job and the the work that you are doing and the mentorship and the resilience that is being transferred, it goes much bigger than Eric, much bigger than your 12 career counselors, and it's impacting the nation as a whole. Okay, so as we continue talking about the influence of leadership and the ability to transfer resilience within organizations. What are the most important attributes of a successful leader, especially within these times? I think the one of the key factors for a successful leader is that leader has to be able to listen, to mm -hmm. be that active listener and listen to the complaints the ideas to figure out what is best for the organization to better move the organization forward, or it could be that individual to help groom that individual to move forward and be successful within their career. Because at the end of the day, we're all leaving. Yeah. You're going to leave your job and somebody has to take it. It, I don't care where you work, if it's military, if it's civilian, someday you're going to retire and somebody has to take your job. What did you do as a leader to groom that individual or individuals to step up to the plate and take your job and continue moving forward without there being any disconnects during that transition? Mm. I love that. That is absolutely uh, spot on. And it's true. I think that sometimes people lose focus as far as what is the legacy that you're leaving so someone can successfully transition into that position. And just because you are a subject matter expert, it doesn't mean that you should not be grooming and mentoring the next person who is going to uh, to to take that or fall into that position and setting them up for success. You lose absolutely nothing <laughs> when doing that. <laughs> no. So, and I think that's, and I think that's where we have those challenges because mm -hmm. uh, at times we think we're doing the, the right thing for the organization. We think we're doing the right thing to, to prepare the the next person to come forward but the one thing that we can't control is who that person is mm. what are their thought process what are their values what are their beliefs and those are internal and even as a leader as a successful leader you can't completely control those pieces of the puzzle that is still on the individual all you can do is just hope that you've provided 
the best guidance and the best direction. And then as an individual, they continue to move the organization forward. We're seeing it today. Uh, look at look across the government and and some of the struggles that we're having today. Mm-hmm. We were all built on the same foundation. We were all built on a certain belief and value systems, but obviously mm-hmm. individually that changes. And how do we adjust as the changes happen? And mm. that's to me, that's a that's a key factor of a successful leader is how do you adapt to the environment? As it's changing, how do you adapt with it? Yeah. I think I think you're absolutely spot on. So when you talk about organizational resilience, right? Those are those are the key factors that demonstrates how strong an organization um, has built its resilience. Is that how do they adapt from change? How do you how do you overcome and how do you adapt new policies in order to continue or to even improve the effectiveness and operations of your organization? So you're absolutely spot on. And how do you continue to enhance and continue to uh, provide advice to your senior leaders as to how to implement better organizational resilience? Well, I think that's where our career counselors are very successful. Mm. They're able, because they're plugged directly into those senior leaders. Uh, by working and providing the guidance with those senior leaders to better the organization, but to better the army as a whole to ensure that we're moving forward and keeping the, the right individuals doing their piece of the puzzle and influencing those leaders to ensure that those guidances from higher are being pushed in the right direction. Sometimes uh, we, we are that sounding board. Uh, mm-hmm. We are that voice of reason to, to our senior leaders. Uh, the senior leaders are, think one way and say, and then we can look at it objectively and say, wait a minute, what about this? That's what I think is very, makes us very successful at our job is to be able to provide those type of guidances to our senior leaders and saying, okay, these type of decisions, how do they impact or influence the culture and the climate of the organization? Mm, I absolutely agree. You're absolutely right. Spot on. So with that being said, I want to take a moment and just get into Eric's head and, and, and figure out who do you look up to for inspiration or mentorship and how how do those or th- those people or that person keep you grounded uh, foremost i have to the inspiration piece i have to immediately go to the wife because she has been that foundation for the, the past 23 years throughout my military career. And you know, just as well as I do, is how passionate she is with taking care of the family and taking care of the soldiers that we work with on a day-to-day basis. And she's just as smart in my job, if not smarter in my job at the time, <laughs> uh, because she she dives right into it and i know that i can sit down with her and throw an idea out and she's going to be candid with her response mm. i may not like it at mm. times or i may be like okay wait a minute i didn't think about it that way mm. and a lot of my inspiration ideas that i come up with a lot of them are driven by the conversations that we have um so, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how you can see the connections between a, a military life and a civilian life and how they balance together mm. to, to create that. Because she's never been military. She's just mm-hmm. been around it her whole life. Mm. Um, but for, for mentors, there, there are, I have a couple of great mentors that I've worked with throughout my military career, I'm actually kind of sad to say that some of them are going to be retiring in the next 12 to 18 months. So Mm. 
it's it's tough when you come up one way and like I said earlier, we all have to go and we all retire. We all have to move on. And I think that's what's really helped me to be the mentor that I am today is mm. because of the way they mentored me. Um, the, the whole phrase of you got to pay it forward. Uh, I do that every day hey, mm. because that's what they taught. Hey, just because you're given something or provided an opportunity, you don't just hold on to it. No, you need to pass it on to to the next person. And I would not be where I am today in my career if it wasn't for those mentors shaping my career. And I really didn't pay too much attention to that. I just they said, hey, go here, take this job do this. And that's what I did. Mm. And again, that goes back to that. What is a successful leader? Yes. I think that is a, another key piece to a successful leader. How do you, how do you take that mentorship, the good, the bad, the ugly, mm. because your, your mentorship and what you provide, you got to have all of it. You just mm. can't provide one piece of the puzzle. Because if you provide just that one piece of the puzzle, that mentee is not going to grow. They're, mm. they're going to go and they're going to develop in one direction versus if you teach or you show all three sides mm. and that person gets the opportunity to take, okay, I'm going to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that and a little bit of this. Okay. This is who I am. Mm. And I've had those mentors throughout my career that have done that. Do I 100% agree with everything my mentors have taught? No. Mm -hmm. Do I 100% disagree with what they've done? No. It's it's that balance. Hey, you pull and you shape your your leadership around what they're providing. Mm. I like that. And you develop your own style that is authentic to who you are. And when when you're able to to take all that and create your your puzzle and put those pieces together, then it just makes it that much more valuable as you continue to share and continue to inspire purpose to others. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. One of one of the many things that I've always admired about you is that you not only walked the walk of being a leader and being a family man and being a, a being part of developing or involved in the community is that you have done that yourself. You have walked the walk, and I have always uh, appreciated the time that you've taken throughout your career, despite the challenges, despite the, the time being away from home and all those other things that you're going, that you've had going on, you've always taken the time to be part of the community. Why, what are the things that you've done first and why was it important for you to, to be invested in your communities? I think giving back to the community is definitely a key foundation to a successful leader because it's not just taking care of your military community, but it's taking care of that civilian community. I was introduced to Team Red, White, and Blue when I got to Fort Gordon, Georgia in 2015. That was the very first community that I've worked with and that organization is built for the veterans. It's built to take care of the veterans and give that the veterans the ability to continue building those teams that they're that environment that they're used to. But then they expand on it by bringing the civilian into the mo into the uh, fold as well. Mm. And that balance of that military that military veteran now getting back into the, the civilian community and building their new team within that community has been very, very enlightening to me. I, I just got the opportunity to serve as the uh, veteran outreach or veteran engagement 
director for mm. both the Augusta chapter and also the El Paso chapter when I was down at the Sergeant Majors Academy um, down at Fort Bliss. Uh, Where Blue is another one that um, I've spent some time with. And Where Blue, again, is another organization that's built around the veterans and remembering those that are not here with us today. So mm. getting out and doing physical activities, getting and remembering those individuals uh, as you're doing those activities. And then I've recently been working and, and trying to explore into the nonprofit community. Mm. And while down at Fort Bliss, I got the opportunity to work, uh, play with the Not Forgotten West softball team down from Fort Bliss that represents the Not Forgotten Foundation. Mm. And this this organization is was built and is run by veterans. Uh, is the the CEO is a retired Air Force enlisted so, uh, airman. And being able to, again, reunite those veterans from all services mm. to, to work together and play the love of the game of softball mm. and just getting out and having that fellowship. And through that, I just recently was, was picked up as a board member for uh, the Not Forgotten Experience, which is an umbrella underneath the Not Forgotten Foundation that gives back to the community. Uh, Reese Across America is one of their one of their events that they they take care of every year. Um, Baltimore Station is a veterans uh, veterans home here in Baltimore, Maryland, mm -hmm. that uh, provides opportunity to homeless vets, and we do a lot of work with them. So being a board member with them was uh, a great honor for me to, to be selected to help this organization push its mission to, mm. to grow. And that's what uh, and I think a lot of that is from the military background and, and knowing that we have to. We have to reach out and continue to put the word out there, and if we don't, it's not going to have an opportunity to grow. It's going to falter. Yeah. Um, and and then recently, again, picking up with the Travis Mannion Foundation mm. was uh, put together. It's put together because a service member was killed and it was a family member that built this organization. But this organization, again, takes care of the veterans mm. and their families. But they have a unique piece that really drew me to them. And that was being a mentor to the children mm. and doing mentoring resiliency is their platform and building that resiliency within the, the children community. And these are not just military children. These are civilian children as well. Mm -hmm. And just really putting together that, that resiliency platform for them to be able to adapt and bounce back. And to me, that's the, the biggest thing. We've got to take our experiences and bring it out. Because if we just hold it within the, the confines of our installation, mm -hmm. we're not sharing knowledge. And, mm. and that's why I think the community outreach is a, a big piece of, or should be a big piece of who we are as leaders and showing our subordinates that, hey, you have skills. You have abilities that not just touch people within the installation. It can touch the civilian community as well. Mm. And how do we bridge that? Mm. I love that. Creating that that bridge of connection and recognizing, I think sometimes what uh, what happens is that we forget that there isn't a separation. We are the community. Our families are in the community. Our children go to the school. And so there's no separation. It is about bringing, bringing the, the, 
bringing the communities and growing and making it better and setting those foundations is is a huge part of just of building resilient communities. So thank you for sharing. And also, I just want to take an opportunity and congratulating you on being selected for, uh, for to be a board member. I recognize that it's not easy to, to be selected as a board member. There are specific morals and values that, uh, you know, the, the board looks at and, uh, for you to be selected and continue to want to grow and build on communities, a testament of the type of person you are. And, uh, I really appreciate you sharing sharing that with us and um, inspiring us to that if you haven't, that take the challenge, challenge yourself today and decide how you can get yourself involved within your local community. So I want to take a few more minutes and uh, talk about misconceptions or um, or false information that as a leader that you've had to uh, work on and debunking some of those uh, misconceptions and how you, and what are a few things that you've had to share or just uh, establish or recognize that these are not true. So what are some misconceptions about military life or leaders within the military that you've had to um, work through? I believe one of the biggest biggest challenges that we run into when talking with soldiers and their families is they, they believe, they being society, believe that we're underpaid right? mm. and that we're not being paid at the levels that we we should for the work that we do but when you really break it down and look at all the amenities that are available to a service member it's not always true mm. now each skill set's going to be different i mean obviously if um i'll use cyber as a uh, as an example if i am a soldier that works within the cyber community i know when i'm done with my service I'm not going to have a hard, shouldn't have a hard transition mm. to leave the military and go into the cyber community. And yes, am I going to make more money than I'm making in the military? Absolutely. There's no question about that. But being able to clear up that, that misconception that we are not paid enough. Yes or no. It's, it's back and forth. It depends on your job and your skill set of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But that goes the opposite way. Mm. And, and the fact of I have this skill set, I've got all the skills and knowledges, I should be able to get out of the military and I should be able to go get a civilian job. Mm. And I'm going to get paid a lot more money than what I'm getting paid right now. Mm. Mm, not all the time. Mm-hmm. Because we know uh, being in an HR, being a human resource professional that we should be able to leave the military, go into the human resources community and be paid well. But what we don't realize is they, uh, the civilian workforce is looking for certain, mm. certain skills, certain degrees, whatever it may be. And that again is that misconception of you got all this knowledge, all this skills, you should be able to leave the military and get this six-figure job as soon as you leave. Mm. Not always going to be true. Mm. And that is a, I think that is a constant misconception is I've been doing this for 20 years. I should be able to get out. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be going into a non-managerial position. And just because I've done X, Y, and Z. Mm. that's not always true for everybody. Each one of us has our own path and the way that that transition happens. But I think one of the other big ones that misconceptions is that every service member can come out with bad come out with bad sides of them 
that would disconnect them from the civilian community. Hmm. And I don't believe that. Hmm. Do we see some things or have done some things that will continue to create struggle? Mm-hmm. Yes, that is true. But should that be held against the person? Mm. I, I don't believe so. Mm. It's a it it shouldn't what that person should be looked at for who they are. Mm. And you work through the other piece of it. So that's another huge misconception is, is that so, uh, civilian workforce doesn't want a military. This is just an example. I say this is happening, mm-hmm. but civilian work, uh, civilian job doesn't want to take a service member because they know they've deployed for four or five times. They're going to come with PTSD. Mm. Does every soldier have PTSD? Honestly, I believe so. Uh, in some form or fashion, mm-hmm. and maybe not as as noticeable as others, mm-hmm. but should service members be markered that way mm. because of it? Mm. And it's just again, it, these are just some of the things that I hear mm-hmm. um, from our job and talking with those that have transitioned over the years. Hmm. Well, I appreciate the honesty, but the, I mean, those both of those areas are very sensitive areas for some, and you have people that are not willing to even open that that can and talk about it. But it is it's true. Um, uh, mental health or physical disabilities should not be uh, a, the barrier between that next chapter or that transition. Or, or even just having that uh, a realistic expectation management as far as recognizing the skills and the experience that you have gotten in the military and how do you use those skills and how do you how do you take advantages of the resources and uh, resources and opportunities to help bridge that gap to allow you to transition in a position that aligns with your skills or even create new opportunities or different opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise thought of. So it's definitely creating those expectation management and helping service members realize that um, there are going to be some misconceptions or some uh preconceived notions, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the end and this is where you stop and to tap into those resources and the communities that you have available to help bridge those gaps. So thank you for being honest about it and uh, touching on very, very sensitive uh, subjects. I'm going to end this with asking my favorite question um, is that what is the one thing that you wish you knew when you began your career or journey, and what kind of advice would you give to individuals today? Uh, the, the one thing that I think that I would do a little bit differently today, had I known in 1994, is I chose to go into the Army Reserves and allowed the recruiter to say, hey, yep, you can you can test drive this for six months or a year, and if you like it, you can you can go active duty. But it didn't turn out that way. It mm-hmm. turned out that I spent six years in the reserves before I could actually come active duty, just because of the nature of the unit that I was uh, assigned to. But I I look back on it and think, if I had actually done that, where would I be today? Would I be on the same path that I'm on? Would I have the family that I have today? Mm. Would I be in the same career field that I'm in today? Those are all the unknowns. So just looking back and saying, hey, I would change this one thing. Mm -hmm. What would it do? It could Mm -hmm. change your whole trajectory of where, where you are, who you are. So, I mean... Yeah, it wasn't a, would I be happier today? Sure, I'd be at 26 years. I'd be just about ready to retire at 30. And I could go on and move on to my next 
choice in life. Mm-hmm. But would I have everything that I have today? I, mm. Nobody knows that. Yeah. And I think that's a, the biggest challenge is we look back on, well, I would have done this differently or I would have done that differently. Mm. But if you had done that, what would life look like today with that change in your life? Mm. Yeah, that is very true. And, uh, you know, going back, reliving the past, it means that you're not moving forward, you know, in the future. So uh, recognizing some of the the decisions that you've made and having those what ifs are not not the moments that you need to stop, but it's just recognizing and taking for granted, not taking for granted what you have in front of you today and how do you continue to move forward and develop and how do you continue to make that part of your ability to continue to be resilient and moving forward. So uh, thank you. And I, I can't tell you enough, Eric, as to how much this conversation has meant to me. Um, I actually wrote notes as to, as to, you know, when I had goosebumps, just uh, when you were talking about family and just, um, you know, just finding that balance and just really painting a picture. And at the end, it just creating that that image and the importance of moving forward and bridging bridging communities and not only just bridging communities but being resilient and making it bigger than who you are. So I thank you so much for the time and sharing with us today and I I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. <laughs> Well, I've actually absolutely enjoyed it. Um, I, I always enjoy our conversations. It definitely brings up some great conversations uh, to, to build on in the future. And I really enjoy the fact that we've had, the, again, that opportunity to just explore different things. Um, every time we have a conversation, something comes up that's like, wait a minute, we didn't think about this before. I mean, how yeah. many times have we had these <laughs> had these conversations and, and didn't think about it at the moment? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it brings up an, a future conversation. I've always enjoyed that, and I think that's what uh, what really makes you who you are is that you can sit down and have that conversation with somebody and say, "Well, wait a minute." We didn't talk about this. We need to talk about this again in the future. And I've always enjoyed that uh, throughout your career. And and we'll definitely look forward to future conversations. Absolutely. So again, thank you so much for being a guest on The Bounce. And I look forward, as you said, future conversations, because this is just the beginning of the continuation. Thank you so much, Eric. And thank you for the invite. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and listening to On The Bounce. If you would like to read more on the topics discussed in today's episode, I have included the links to the research I have referenced in the episode description. Please feel free to share your thoughts and leave a comment. And as always, see you next time.